Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Hey friends, before we jump into today's episode, I have a quick announcement for you about a new masterclass that I now have available to watch at any time you want. There's no need to schedule anything or show up live or anything like that. And it's my masterclass, Three Things Confident Doctors Never Do. And in the masterclass, I'm going to teach you the most common causes of self-doubt, um, which really I think will surprise you. And especially if you're a woman physician, these things are really going to hit home for you, I think. The next thing I'm going to go over for you is what no one ever told you about confidence. These are things that I didn't learn until just a few years ago. No one ever was going around teaching me these things in medical school or residency for sure. The next thing you're going to learn is what you must stop doing immediately in order to overcome self-doubt. And these are things that seem relatively harmless in the moment, but really have huge impacts on our confidence down the road. And the last thing I'm going to give you a glimpse of is how amazing your life can be when you're not doubting yourself. And even if this feels super far off for you right now, I think it's still worth watching this masterclass because what it's going to give you is actionable steps to take that confident doctors do every day. And it's going to really talk to you about those things that doctors who identify as confident, the things that they're not doing on a day-to-day basis that maybe you've kind of fallen into the habit of doing. And I know these things firsthand because I've been there and I've done them all and I still sometimes fall victim to these things. So be sure to check out this masterclass. Like I said, it's free. You can watch it right away whenever you have a few moments and you'll also get a copy of it in your email. So you can go to www.kristinyatesdo.com forward slash masterclass to check that out. Have a great one. Dr. Charupa Prabhakar is a board-certified OBGYN and with a fellowship in minimally invasive gynecologic surgery. She has a special interest in fibroids and abnormal uterine bleeding, so much so that she created a YouTube channel called The Fibroid Doc to share information on fibroids and to empower women to take action in order to live a life free of bleeding and pain. She grew up in Connecticut and attended Smith College and did her fellowship in Brooklyn, New York, and now lives in California. You can find her at the Fibroid Doc on Instagram and on Facebook at Chiruba Prabhakar. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Chiruba. Thank you for being here with me. How are you? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I'm good. I'm good. It's a pleasure to be here. So as we were talking about offline, it's so nice to have a fellow uh, in the OBGYN world. So um, tell me about everything that you can think of when it comes to (laughs) imposter syndrome. Yeah, so, you know, I finished my residency as you know, four year OBGYN residency, and then I did a fellowship in minimally invasive surgery, and then became an attending out here in the Bay Area. And you know, when I first came out of uh, fellowship and started my first job as an attending, you know, it was a little scary to see my name on the stickers that patients mm. would get when they walked into the hospital and uh, realize like, wow, the buck really stops here. You know, um, I'm 100% responsible for the patient. And I spend most of my time doing surgery. So the operating room is fun, but can be scary with various things going on. And um, so it was a it was a little um interesting in the beginning, no one to watch over me, no one to check in with, you know, I am it, I am the attending. So that took a little while getting used to. But and the kind of in the end of my first year, 
you know, I had a complication, I had a surgical complication. And in residency, we, our attendings would always say like, you know, it's just the, just a rule that when you get out into practice the first year, you know, everyone's going to have some disaster, either in the OB world or GYN world. And sure enough, at the end of my first years in attending, I had this complication and, um, you know, I immediately started like second guessing myself at that time. Oh gosh, like, you know, I'm a good surgeon and, you know, what could I have done differently? And, you know, starting, starting to really doubt myself. And I think imposter syndrome really kicked in there for me. And until then, I felt like I was doing well as a new attending. So and that was really devastating for me, really took a lot out of me and my family because I just wasn't present for my family for like weeks, you know, while I was dealing mm. with this. And so um, I, since then I have come a long way, but that was, I think my first sort of, um, feeling of, of real imposter syndrome. And as I've uh, become a more confident attending, um, you know, over the years, um, I'm six years out now. At this point, it's, I think, mainly when I call in another surgeon um, to take a second look at something I'm doing or for help. You know, some of our cases are pretty complex. Sometimes I need to call a urologist or a general surgeon. And even though in my mind, cognitively, I know it's the right thing to do. Sometimes I think, oh, gosh, what are they going to think of me? Like, or, oh, maybe I should I should be able to deal with this myself. Um, and again, I know that every good physician and every good surgeon knows what they know and know what they knows what they don't know. Um, but still, when I'm actually calling for help, sometimes I do have imposter syndrome come upon me again in those moments. Yeah. And I think you bring up some really great points, right? Because it's not uncommon. I mean, surgeons have complications. I know that I did that. I went through the first year, like <laughs> rite of passage as, you know, as an attending, it was challenging and it can really kind of make you feel uneasy about or question, like, am I really, do I really belong? And I got, the question I have for you is how long did it take you to realize that that voice of imposter syndrome was just kind of a normal part of life and how were you able to detach it from your sense of confidence and that you were a good surgeon? Yeah, that is a very good question. That took me a while. I think um, overall, I'm in general, a pretty confident person. So going through those first few months of attending a hood, you know, I didn't really question much, but this experience, you know, at the end of my first year, this, this complication that I had really made me think about a lot of, a lot of things. Um, I did, you know, one thing that I did that really helped me was get some physician coaching from, um, another physician actually, um, to just think through these things and lay out the facts, right? Like, mm. you know, the rates of complications are one to 5%. So if you do 100 cases, one to five cases are going to have complications. So, um, you know, it was just the facts that were playing out in my life. Um, and, you know, I, when we do informed consent with patients, you know, we talk about complications, you know. Um, and so, knowing that, Hey, I'm not anything special. Like this is, this is what happens. And if you operate enough, you are going to get complications, um, mm -hmm. helped me really sort of detach myself from that episode. Um, it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt and it doesn't, doesn't mean that, you know, the next time a complication happens, I'm not like really, you know, beating myself up over it a, a little bit, but I'm definitely beating myself up way less than I did that first time. 
And I just say out aloud to myself, like, yeah, this complication can happen. I did speak to the patient about it. It's happened. You know, the good thing is I'm fixing it. Um, and, you know, I'll just have to see how everything plays out. And I just have a lot more self-compassion for myself, um, mm. which sort of didn't exist when I first became an attending. Yeah. And what do you think, like, where did you learn that skill of self-compassion? Some of it was just kind of living through it and, you know, um, going through these experiences. But I did, uh, I was part of a um, physician coaching program for about three months, Mm. Um, physicians coaching other physicians. And that really just opened my eyes to so much, but especially these more complicated raw events that happen in life. And for me at that moment, it was this, you know, surgical complication and um, really learning, um, okay, you're still a great surgeon. You're one of the few people in this area who can do, you know, what you do. Um, So you're awesome. You're, you're a boss, like, you know, just saying those things to myself and um, saying like, yeah, I did, you know, I did everything right. And sometimes these things just happen. And really believing that, um, you know, it took me a little while, but I'm, I'm much better at it since that first episode. Yeah. And was it just, how did you get better at it? Because I know that a lot of the women that I work with as who I coach that in, at the beginning, they have a really hard time making that transition. And I know for me, it was a simple repetition that really took like repeatedly deciding that I was a confident surgeon. Um, Did you find it was just the repetition or was there some other way that you were able to make that shift? I think it was more being very conscious of what I was saying to the patient and being very cognizant of it as I went into the operating room. So, you know, when you see a patient for their pre-op visit in the office, you say, oh, the risks of the surgery are this, this, A, B, C, D, and you just kind of go through your routine, you type it in the chart, and then you go to the surgery. But now I actually really say it very slowly. And I say, yes, these things can happen. And, you know, and really like believe it, not just like, you know, Mm -hmm. rattling it off my tongue, but really believe it. And then when I am in surgery, um, I'm very present at the moment and know that, Hey, these things can happen. And post-op when a patient even has the smallest complaint, you know, I take it very seriously and, and say, well, you know, it could be, you know, ABC complication, unlikely from what my procedure was, but it could be. And I take it, take it, I'm very thorough about, about working that up and saying to myself the whole time, yes, this can happen. Um, I know it, I, the patient knows it. And if it happens, like if, if it truly is a complication, we're going to fix it. Um, and I think just being a lot more deliberate about that has really helped me rather than just being like a robot and just saying, oh yeah, it could be ABCD. And like, these are the things that could happen and just like praying and hoping that it doesn't, you know? Yeah. You bring up a great point. I think that so much of what we do after years of doing it becomes like robotic, exactly like you said. And what I think that does, it's a, it's, it's really kind of robbing us of really kind of being there and recognizing the depth and the severity of the things that we do most of the time. And I think that 
it, it does kind of steal the experience from us because when things do come up, then we feel like we didn't, we didn't really experience the, the full range of care, right? Because we were kind right. of phoning it in preoperatively. And then we're kind of like having to dial it back in and be present again. So I think that's a great reminder to everybody that the moments of presence matter all the time for that reason. I do want to, um, sorry, go ahead. Were you going to say something? Oh, no. You know, I was just saying, absolutely. And I think the being present just for your patient, but also for yourself, mm-hmm. you know, um, and really believing that, yes, these complications can happen. I think it makes you a more uh, careful surgeon. It makes you a more compassionate surgeon. And it makes you just a good surgeon because you also pick up on things post-operatively a lot quicker because you really believe it can happen rather than just being mm-hmm. in denial, you know, all the time. And in yeah. residency, you know, maybe we do see complications, but we're not exactly thought how to deal with that and then how to talk to a patient about it, how to talk to a patient's family about it, you know? Um, so it's sort of a rite of passage, I think, as an attending, I mean, mm-hmm. it, and it's a little bit lonely, you know, there's there, yeah, you could talk to some people, but Hey, it ultimately it's, it's, it's all on you and you're, you're kind of having to, navigate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I do want to go back to something you said earlier, because I don't want to miss it because I love that you mentioned it, that the math of it all, right. The math of like one in five, there are, you know, there are complications that are statistically proven. Right. And I think that as physicians, we think that we're supposed to be the one perfect one who never has any issues. Right. But when you can like take a step back and look at the math of anything, right? The math of an inaccurate diagnosis or the math of a complication or a death or whatever it is, and realize that on the other side of that math are human beings. Mm-hmm. Then I think what you can really kind of step into is the fact that that's all you're supposed to be is the best you can be, which is still a human being. And the more that your volume goes up in anything that you do, the more likely you're going to see these strange cases or have issues or whatever it is. And I think what happens for many of us is that we take the math and we add in a bunch of drama that is mostly self-deprecating. And then some of us leave our careers because of it. So I think it's very important to separate the math from the drama and then add in, you can add in your own story about it. Right. But that's always a choice. And if every surgeon who ever had a complication quit medicine or stopped operating, then we'd be in trouble because it would be many, there'd be very few surgeons, if any left. Absolutely. And, you know, for that reason, um, when I see someone else struggling, another surgeon being bummed out about a complication, I'm very open uh, and sharing anything that I've experienced because there's also, I think, you know, in medicine, we're perfectionists in, and to a certain extent, that's great. I mean, we are dealing with human lives, we're dealing with life and death. Um, But we're very also unforgiving of Mm -hmm. ourselves. And so there's this like, air of shame almost, um, Mm -hmm. when someone has a complication, but being open about my own experiences, you know, um, sometimes just makes a colleague feel better. Um, because mm-hmm. I know when I was in that boat, hearing about other people's complications made me feel better. Like, okay, it's just not me that's, you know, going through this. Look at ex surgeon who's practiced for 30 years, you know, mm-hmm. just had this complication. And so that culture of just openness and sharing is also important in medicine, um, especially in these surgical fields. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree hundred percent with that. So I do want to switch gears a little bit and talk about your yeah. ventures outside of um, clinical medicine, which is your YouTube channel, which I know yeah. is medically oriented, but how did you get into that? Where did that start? Let's talk about that a bit. Yeah. So, you know, I did my fellowship uh, in minimally invasive surgery in Brooklyn, New York, um, which is where there's a very diverse population. And one of the surgeries that I often did was a myomectomy or removal of fibroids. A lot of women there had fibroids. And then interestingly, I ended up here all the way on the other coast in um, Oakland, California, um, where again, the number one surgery that I do is uh, a myomectomy. And so I've just, it's, it's a common procedure I perform, I really enjoy it. um, And I really enjoy taking care of women with fibroids. And so I just decided to start this YouTube channel called the fibroid doc, where I share information with patients every week, or just, you know, whoever is interested um, about about fibroids and kind of how to live a life free of bleeding and pain, because that is what a lot of these women experience. And I want to empower them to make strong decisions that help them have a better quality of life. Well, that's, that's amazing. And of course, as a gynecologist, I love all things fibroids. So that sounds pretty wonderful. Um, But tell me about the self-doubt or imposter syndrome that came up. Was there any of that for you when the thought of putting yourself on YouTube was, was something that you were considering? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, was of the generation of like Facebook and MySpace mm-hmm. and all of that, but not of Instagram and, um, you know, TikTok and everything. So the thought of like having to learn that and finding time for all of this on top of my busy schedule was very daunting, but I actually belonged to a wonderful community of other physician entrepreneurs um, called the Entre MD Business School. So they'd be actually throw ideas around and bounce things off of each other. And that's been a great community to help me um, get going with this. So of course there, there is imposter syndrome, like, gosh, I'm a doctor. Like I'm not a, you know, a media, a social media person. Like, what am I doing? Like putting myself out there. I don't have, you know, hours as it seems like some of these people do like to yeah. make all these, you know, fun uh, music videos and stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm just trying to get my message out there, reach more patients. Um, and educate women um, about, you know, fibroids and everything that that they can do about it and not just rely on like google.com to get a bunch of information that often is false. So that keeps me motivated. And, you know, if I look silly and whatever, it's okay. (laughs) Like, you know, I'm just, uh, this is just my little side gig. So I'm not, I'm not, not trying to take it too seriously in terms of like, you know, be all serious about it. Like, let me have fun. Let's educate some people. And um, yeah, there's always doubts, but I just keep going. Yeah. I, I just want to highlight some things you said, cause it was all just gold. And the thing, number one is that it, it was a focus on service. Like I want to help patients and it was really not about you. Right. And I think that as physicians, we can really resonate with that. Um, because so much of what we do is, is based in service. So I find that when I'm struggling with doubt, that's my same thing is I'll focus on the women that I want to help. The other thing that you mentioned is have fun with it and not take yourselves too seriously. And I think that doctors really have a hard time, like relearning how to have fun and how to play and be silly and it's, and, and realize that it's okay to not be 
to look not to not look professional, like a hundred percent of the time. And it doesn't mean that you're not a good doctor and you won't be taken seriously. It just means that like you can have fun and you can use some of the right brain to, um, to express yourself. So I think that's fantastic. And the last thing you said that was so good was you just do it anyway. Like, yeah, the doubt comes up, but you have decided to just not listen. Like that's not what's going to be the deciding factor of what you're taking action from. And I think that's really a a big deal because so many of us take that voice of um, doubt and we're driven from that place. And what you've done so beautifully is you've kind of put that voice in the passenger seat or in the back seat, way in the back. And you decide what you're driven from, which is service and play and all of these things, which I think is a really wonderful lesson. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's also interesting because, you know, I'm a South Asian and, um, you know, the Asian culture has these stereotypes of being, you know, perfectionists and super critical and, um, self deprecatory and Mm -hmm. all of that. And so I think I've also had to untangle myself from some of that and, um, really, uh, consciously, you know, associate myself with different thoughts. And um, that has been a huge challenge for me as well. But uh, the more I do it, the better I get at it. And the more I'm able to actually move on with my goals. Yeah. Um, And I I think that's a perfect place to end because that was a really another great lesson. This is a, (laughs) this is a very high yield episode. So thank you. (laughs) It's just about repetition and the commitment to yourself and to into your, into your own confidence. So that's really great. Um, do you mind just telling people where they can find you on social media once more? Yes. Um, you can find me on, um, at, at the fibroid doc on Instagram, uh, Chiruba Prabhakar MD on Facebook and uh, my new website will be coming out shortly. www.thefibroiddoc.com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was awesome talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you. I appreciate it.